Hello, America. Boy, there's lots to hate today. Um, lots to hate. LeBron James is at the top of the list. Oh, Last part of the podcast, but top of the list. <laughs> uh, we tell you about the Ukraine special that is coming up. We give you some things that we, we found yesterday that I think are just stunning. Just stunning. Also, uh, we talked about the seven-year-old in Dallas that mom says, he's a she. And the judge says, yep, mom can change his sex, which if effectively castrates this kid. Uh, dad says no. We talked about that. Setting it up for tomorrow, dad will be with us. You don't want to miss that podcast. We talk about the 1919 uh, Black Sox World Series. It's the anniversary. Uh, Michael Knowles is on with us. We also found out that a Clinton advisor said, about Hillary Clinton possibly running. And then the hatred of LeBron James. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. All right, I'm going to give you an update on what the media is talking about on the impeachment and Let's just get this straight. I think impeachment is going to happen. They're going to impeach the House, will impeach the president, and then it will be up to uh, the Senate to decide whether they run a trial. And if they run a trial, then they'll have to decide whether they remove him from office or not. But they are hell-bent on impeachment. Now, this week, the highest-ranking U.S. diplomat in Ukraine... The acting ambassador, William Taylor, he testified to the House impeachment inquiry, uh, and it wasn't good for President Trump. We think. Remember, these are secret hearings. Taylor's testimony was everything the Democrats wanted to hear. He stated that the face-to-face meeting between Trump and Zelensky was uh, being dangled like a carrot in exchange for a public announcement, public announcement, that Ukraine was investigating Joe Biden. He also stated that the military aid was was being dangled for the same thing. Quid pro quo had everything to do with the conversations between the U.S. and Ukrainian president. Uh, This is at least as alleged by Bill Taylor. The quid was a face-to-face meeting between Trump and Zelensky and the military assistance. The quo was a public announcement from Zelensky that he was ordering an investigation into Joe and Hunter Biden and their relationship with Burisma. So where's the problem? Well, if it is true, it's a big problem for President Trump, but there are some pretty big holes in it. For one, several claims by the acting ambassador were based off secondhand conversations. And we've all been privy, uh, you know, to this uh, testimony. Uh, well, no, actually, just a, a leaked copy of the opening statement, not the testimony. We haven't been given a transcript for the question and answer portion. Minority leader Kevin McCarthy hinted yesterday that there, there was one key moment where Taylor's most damaging claim was completely destroyed by Representative Ratcliffe from Texas. But the Democrats won't release any of that. This is why they're storming, quote unquote, storming the skiff yesterday. Can we first stop using the word storming? If you've seen, they walked into it. 
storming. There's also another big hole here. The quid, the the face-to-face meeting and the military uh, aid was granted by the president without the quo. Trump met Zelensky face-to-face and the military aid was given to Ukraine. But there was never any announcement of anything Hunter Biden, you know, and, and, and Joe Biden investigations. Zelensky never made the public uh, statement about the investigation. So can there be a quid without the quo? Ugh. Don't you just want to say to these people, shut up. All we're getting now is the worst of the worst. Everything that helps make the Democrats case is getting leaked. All of the other context is going to stay behind closed doors. Well, we want you to know that we are looking into the full context of what's happening in Ukraine. And you can't understand the the Democrats' current case against Trump without also knowing what the left has been doing in Ukraine. So, next Wednesday, we are going to have a special again. It's part two of our Ukrainian special. Uh, And this one is to go through all of the things that the Democrats are now saying out. You need to understand their case. And so, all of the things the Democrats are saying. And how the media is shaping the narrative. We have found some incredible things about the media. It's grotesque on what they're doing right now. But you need to understand all of that. Now, our first chalkboard went up uh, yesterday at glenbeck.com. It's an interactive chalkboard. So you can go on the chalkboard and you can click on any of these things, and it will take you to what that is and all of the documentation. Uh, And I'm telling you, there are parts that I only had read a certain parts of the documentation and I went back in and I reread and I read the whole, you know, transcript of the trial or whatever it was. And I'm telling you, it will blow your mind. It is the thing that you really, it's a resource that is free and you really need. If you want to, I would say something counterintuitive. If you want to save the country and not necessarily save the Democrats or save the Republicans, you must know this story. If you want to just save Donald Trump, you just need half of the story. You want to save just the Democrats, you need half of the story. You want to save the country, you need the whole story. And far as I know, we're the only ones doing it. And we are being really responsible. We are doing everything we can to vet, to double check, to triple check, to make sure we don't have anything without the original documents or without the actual voices, video, or official transcripts. Now, with this being said, that is next Wednesday. As we were looking into this, And as we were going through some stuff, some old names started to appear. And yesterday, we started going through some old boxes from Fox and old files that we had done. 
And we were working on about 2010, probably 2009, 2010. And there were a few chalkboards about a theory of something that wasn't my theory. It was an Obama theory. And it was his counsel and it was Hillary Clinton. And we did some shows on this and we showed you how uh, how they were trying to. They were trying to be the Fabian socialist. I know if you're a new listener of the program, I might be speaking Greek to you. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, you know what the Fabian socialists are. Fabian socialists are the um, it's the think tank, if you will, that caused World War One. Uh, just they, they they believe in heating up the world, causing chaos so they can change it and beat the world into a shape that is closer to their heart's desire. And their their logo is a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's crazy. And you have all these prime ministers and all these presidents and everything else that have all taken pictures and photos in front of the Fabian, the famous Fabian socialist window. When we started looking into this years ago, I thought we had exposed it. And I thought that we had, I had no idea that it was, that it just kept going. I don't know how, might have happened in the transition. I don't know how we lost this. But we've been looking at this piece for a while. In fact, our chief researcher had been looking into this. Jason had been doing something, because we had a conversation about, what, seven years ago, eight years ago? Yeah. And I don't remember, do you remember what that conversation was? That you want to say or not? Uh, we don't want to tip our hand yet. <laughs> um, okay, so but we had a conversation, and he was intrigued by it, and he started doing research. But he didn't think it connected to anything. And so when it gave him a name yesterday, <laughs> and I said, look at this video, will you? And I said, it's this person. And he, I left, and he sat at his desk for a while and went, I remember that name. I don't know why. I was irritated because I was like, we were almost done writing for the special next week. And I was like, not another name. <laughs> but I was like, wait a minute. So I just plugged it into our little, my little computer search finder thing from all, all of the stuff I've researched. And it popped up. And then it referred back to that conversation that we had you know, back several years Which ago. Which referred, Stu, back to things that we were exposing at Fox. Uh, so we are going to do the special next week that you really have to watch because you have to understand how it all ties together. You have to understand. If you just focus on the phone call and quid pro quo, it excuses the corruption that was happening in uh, Ukraine that we went over in the first special. And that is grotesque. But it is nothing, nothing like what we are going to expose on the third special, which is coming in the next probably month. The trail of this is absolutely insane. Ukraine is just a small cog yes. in this entire machine. I mean, you're going to be blown away when you see the literal trail of blood and destruction that started probably around 2009 all the way up until, well, really all the way up until today. So we're still looking into it, but I believe that you're still seeing these things actively being done. Things like Ukraine right now. I think, and I don't, this is my gut. My gut says that 40 to 50% of the turmoil, and it may be higher, the turmoil that you see on the streets 
you know, with revolutions and people on the streets protesting and all the conflict, 40 to 50 percent of that, my gut says, is all a show. It's all people being used by the U.S. State Department, and they have no idea. You, I, I will tell you that I, I've seen a lot of things that have given me pause and given me, oh, really? We're doing this? This is the most, well, be careful, and I think this is the most evil thing I've ever seen our government do. Uh, pretty broad statement there. <laughs> how how, how close? How close do you think that is to what you feel, Jason? Um, it's definitely diabolical, and it's. I mean, if people, <laughs> what's happening to what's happening to the world right now? What's happening? It, it is coordinated by our government and deep state. It is. It is out in the open, but nobody will talk about it there's no way that Donald Trump, I don't even know if Donald Trump really understands this or anybody in his administration is, is understands this, but this is the new way of operating for the United States of America. And it was done by Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And it is the deep state. It is operating without the president. It is just operating. Yeah, and it's it's interesting how involved like career diplomats are, are in in on this. Um, I've already seen evidence that, that that career diplomats, people in the State Department, in some of these other countries, are still do, you know fulfilling this. Oh no, they're, this they're policy. No, this this is United States policy now, at least with the State Department, and uh, and so we're going to be exposing that. But please, please tell your friends and please stay in touch with this. Because there's a lot of information coming your way, and you're going to need to understand it, and we will take you through it. It begins next week, next Wednesday. Uh, make sure you watch our special, and if you'd like to subscribe to The Blaze, which helps us do these things, please do. Subscribe to The Blaze TV, blazetv.com slash Glenn, blazetv.com slash Glenn, promo code Glenn. The best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Dave Isay is, is uh, with us now. Dave, um, Dave is the founder and president of StoryCorps, uh, and uh, we're having a hard time finding uh, love in our hearts today, Dave. We really are. So we're counting on you to bring us back to unity and peace and and loving everyone. <laughs> Hi, Glenn. Hi. I'll try. Okay. I'll try. Yeah. It's a tough Things job today. A yeah, it's a I tough know. job. All right. The, um, I, the, the story that I chose, uh, it's always great to be on. And, Thank and thanks. And, and, I, and hopefully just the idea of what we're doing with StoryCorps will give people a little bit of hope. And that's what StoryCorps is all about. You know, we go all over the country and we give families the chance to talk to each other. It's two people. It's you and your kid, you and your grandmother, and you sit for 40 minutes um, and talk about whatever you want to talk about. Most people think of it as if I had 40 minutes left to live, what would I say to this person who means so much to me? People ask the big life questions. 
and you keep a copy and another copy goes to the Library of Congress. So your great, 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 great grandkids can get to know your grandmother. I just love this. Life. I wish I could have done this with my grandfather, my grandmother. I just think this is the greatest thing. Well, one of the things you can do is, is um, while you can, is, is, is remember them. Um, because even that, even just your memories of the stories of your grandparents is just so valuable for your, you know, future generations. Um, and, and it also, you know, sitting with someone and listening to them just reminds them that they're that they matter and they won't be forgotten. Yeah. And essentially what we're doing is kind of collecting the wisdom of humanity. I, I didn't bring with me a heartbreaking story today. A lot of them are are sad. This is more um, uh, this is this is this is a story about technical innovation circa 1940. Okay, technical <laughs> innovation circa 1940, and this is uh, Betty yes. Jenkins. Yes, she's okay. 94 years old, right. and she came to StoryCorps with her niece in Ohio. And during the interview, she remembered um, a newfangled device she had gotten from her mom—an inflatable bra. Here's the story. I was very skinny. And I didn't have any curves. I guess my mother got kind of worried because she didn't think I had enough boyfriends. So she bought me a bra that you blow up. I was real excited. So I blew and blew to about 32. I was quite happy with the looks. I got a few wolf whistles. Of course, at that age, you were very self-conscious that year, I took a trip to South America. I proceeded to fly to Santiago. Soon we were into the Andes Mountains, and it turned out that it was a non-pressurized plane, and (laughs) I felt very uncomfortable. Things were getting very tight. This bra had started to increase in size. As the thing got bigger, I tried to stand up, and I couldn't see my feet. The direction said it would go to 48 if I wanted to. I thought, what will happen if it goes beyond 48? (laughs) And I found out what happened. It blew out. It was a loud, resounding sound. And the co-pilot came into the cabin with the gun, wondering what had happened. The man all pointed to me. Well, it's difficult to explain to people in English that part of your anatomy just blew up. (laughs) To try and do it in Spanish, it's beyond hope. So they made a landing. I was taken off the plane and turned over to two women police, and they told me to strip hunting for what they thought was the bomb. When I stripped down, I showed them the hole in the bra, and they chuckled, and I thought, oh, my, they've gotten the point, and I was allowed back on the plane. A month later... I got a bill from the airline for $400 for an unscheduled stop. <laughs> do you know, Dave, did, did her, do you say she came in with her granddaughter? Did, did, uh, yeah. <laughs> was this story, was that a first telling for this this uh, I, I, granddaughter? I don't know. I, I, don't know. I it, it may well have been. 
but it's certainly a telling for the ages. That is so great. <laughs> that is so great. And the bra, yeah, I assume, uh, was not part of the family treasure that she passed on. <laughs> we'll, we'll never know. We'll never we'll know. Never know. <laughs> so, Dave, where are you where our listeners can can go? Well, we're all over the country, and people can, can go to uh, storycorps.org to find out more. One thing I wanted to just bring up today, if we have a minute, is that every Thanksgiving – um, we have something called the Great Thanksgiving Listen, where we ask people, we have an app now that makes it possible to record a story, core story, anytime, any place with a loved one, honor them by listening to them, and with one tap, upload it to the Library of Congress. And teachers across the country over Thanksgiving uh, assign their students, mostly high school students, to interview an elder and honor them. And we hope that you will... Um, Call your schools uh, where your kids are and ask them to participate, or even not. Just talk to your kids, talk to your grandkids, ask them to download the app and participate with us over Thanksgiving. Oh, you can great. find out about it at, at storycorps.org or the Great Thanksgiving Lesson. So, do and you do this? One, you one, do this every. One, wait, do you do every this every Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving? Indeed, and I'll tell one story about the first Thanksgiving. Um, you know, in in many ways, StoryCorps is really kind of collecting the wisdom of humanity because of the nature of what's talked about um, in, the, in, the, in the booth and on the app. And on the first Thanksgiving, um, we had just launched the app. This was um, three or four years ago. And uh, we, we went around and we told people about the Great Thanksgiving List, and then we hoped people would participate and got a lot of media. And we found on the Thursday of Thanksgiving that um, basically nobody was participating. It was the same as we always saw, a steady state of the recordings on the app. And on Friday... No one had uploaded. None of the students had had participated. Saturday, I had to go on and do interviews saying, you know, we we were not giving up. It didn't work this year, but um, but this is too important. This act of listening, we're going to keep trying. And then on Sunday, we had completely given up. And someone in my office said, you better look at what's happening on the app. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of interviews being uploaded. Now, I'm an old dad, so it hadn't occurred to me that wisdom that kids wait until Sunday night to do their homework, but I will never forget that again. So on Sunday night, we get, we got, we got as many interviews that Sunday night as we had in the first 10 years of story Corps combined. So we hope that people will, will um, be a part of this. And again, you know, you started, it is things really stink right now. They really stink. Um, But uh, look to your families. Remember the basic goodness of who we are as people think the best of people. Remember that none of us are the worst things we've ever done. And, you know, go to a loved one and say, who are you? What have you learned in life? How do you want to be remembered? And uh, it'll just shake you on the shoulder and clear the nonsense and remind you how lucky we are to be alive. Dave, thank you. It's storycore.org, storycore.org. We, you know, we're right around uh, Thanksgiving. Would you come back on the week before Thanksgiving and maybe bring some, you know, bring something that you found from past Thanksgivings? I'd be honored. Yeah, that'd be great. You got it. Thank you very much. Dave, I say from storycore.org. Hang on. Uh, Who do we we have on the phone? Hello? Hello? Am I on the radio airwaves? Yes, yes, you are. My name is Wilfred. I'm calling from Sun City, Florida. Well, how are things, Wilfred? Very good. I heard the story from the young lady who was on moments ago. She was in 94. Do you have her telephone number? No, I don't think she's... uh, She sounds very hot. (laughs) I uh, was listening to that story. I nearly spit out my Ovaltine. Really? 
Really? It's, yeah. Yes. I, uh, it, she got me going. You know, she revved my engines a little bit. Right. She raised my body temperature right, okay. so right. much that I had to lower the heat in my room to 86. <laughs> really? Yes. It's, wow, you're that hot. Yes. And I, I, by the way, I, I should point out that I also have a pump attached to my body to inflate. I don't think and, I... And you do not want to go over the maximum capacity. Right. right. Okay. You think it would be a good idea and, and things start, wow. Whoa. You, this has oh, happened to you? Oh, my goodness. By accident? Yes, or? Mildred down the hall knows the whole thing. Right. Poor Mildred. All right. Okay. I, she... <laughs> what happened to Mildred? I don't think you want me to get into what happened to Mildred. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, police visited and believed there was an assault of some sort. <laughs> but it wasn't. She, but no. No. Was she, just... she was into it, and I'll say, she was back next Tuesday. <laughs> She was back with a wow. with a with some mucilix, and right. we went back to town. <laughs> right. okay. okay, thank you very much, Wilford. Thank for, you. Uh, for thank you for calling. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Our next guest is someone you love, one of your favorite guests, David Petruzza. And he's one of your favorite historians. He tells history in ways that... You don't ever bring history, so it's got to be something about the World Series. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Uh, David is on with us, and, and David, uh, he's got a new book, by the way, called... Uh, let's see where it's the... What's that? Oh, yeah, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Sorry, yeah. I, thought, I, I know he's been writing about this quite a bit. It's the 100th anniversary, I guess, is the big reason. 1919 uh, was the Black Sox scandal. Okay. And um, you, of course, know all about that. Absolutely. Uh, right. <laughs> of course. I know they cheated. They cheated, right? There was a big mm-hmm. gambling scandal, and, yeah. and David's been and telling this history. And I, I find it fascinating because, uh, and, and David, I don't know if you're going to be able to get Glenn into this. It's, it's history, which he loves, and he loves you, but then it's also sports, which he has no interest in. So you have to come up with a way to make this interesting to Glenn. I, I think I know how to do that. Okay, All right, go ahead. This is and a challenge. The, the established narrative, which has been going on for 100 years, is that the Reds or the White Sox, the Black Sox, did this because they were exploited by management. You know, they were underpaid. They were cheated on bonuses. They weren't even washing their uniforms. Blah, 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 blah. And this was established largely. It was been percolating for a long time, but the established narrative is a book called Eight Men Out. It became a movie called Eight Men Out, and then it got transported into a more popular movie called Field of Dreams. Right, I saw and, that one. <laughs> right, and the guy that you the don't guy, have me yet, but I remember, hoo hoo hoo, Joe Jackson. Okay, and it's the usual sob story from the left, and it's all a lie. It's all false. The guy who wrote that book, Elliot Asinoff, was very left-wing, 
He was blacklisted in the 50s. So he was coming at this story from a left wing, stick it to the man. These guys did it to get, you know, retributive justice. Uh, They were direct action. And so it was all somewhat justified. And what we have found out in the last 20 years, because Major League Baseball did a data dump and put all the salary data down and all all this stuff, which was just sort of hidden or forgotten forever, and that not only weren't the White Sox, that team underpaid. The season started, they were the third highest paid team in the league. And when it ended, they were the highest paid team in the league. And many of these guys, including even crooked guys, were among the highest paid players in the American League. So all fake. Okay, so you have me, but you lost me on one detail. Sure. <laughs> were the White Sox, were the White Sox and the Black Sox the same team? Oh, <laughs> Do they only call them well, the Black Sox? They were actually the White Sox, but they were only called the White the Black Sox after that scandal for that year. Yes. Wow, that is and the, and That's a fascinating the, fact. I didn't know. <laughs> that's, wow, you really? Great. Well, yeah. I, well, I, I was actually asked by a, a, another conservative yesterday morning. Do the White Sox still exist? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <but> the, <laughs> so you're you're not too far behind. Right. I will okay. say, okay. looking at the season, they barely exist. But yes, they so do still you, exist. You, David, you ha- you had me when it's all wrong. Um, so much of our history is just complete nonsense and written by people with an agenda and i i I love sports pardon me it filters into sports every aspect of our society so david how bad was this scandal in the press at the time how i mean can you compare it to anything today well, it was very big. I, the most recent thing to compare it to was the steroid scandal. But at that time, baseball was invariably called a clean sport to differentiate itself from boxing and horse racing, you know, where fixes were obviously going on. And F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote about uh, Arnold Rothstein, the gambler behind it, as a man who destroyed the faith of 50 million people. This was, you know, the saying you've probably heard, or maybe not, <laughs> say it ain't so, Joe. Yeah, I know that. Okay? Yeah. Oh, that, that comes from this. From that, that comes from that, where a little boy, supposedly outside the grand jury, Shoeless Joe Jackson, he was in Field of Dreams, comes out, he's confessed, and the little boy says, say it ain't so, Joe, like in some, you know, movie. And and I think the bulk of the American people felt like that, that this was not supposed to happen. Baseball was clean and, you know, baseball mom and apple pie. So and it was happening also at a time after World War Two. It happened during the Wilson administration. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah. See, when uh, things 1919 is a good year for you and me. Yeah. 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 OK. So, so what what's America coming to? So the how long did it take to recover? Pretty soon. Well, for one thing, when your team is in first place, you forget all the sins of your sport. Okay, so the pennant race kicks in. But what really happens is a judge called Kennesaw Mountain Landis had been a progressive. He had fined Standard Oil like $26 million in 1907. He prosecuted the anti-war people or 
was the judge in the trials of people who are against the war. He comes out after, you know, the, the White Sox, Black Sox guys, the crooked players are acquitted by a jury in Chicago. And mm. a, but Landis, who was a federal judge in Chicago, issues a statement that says no player who endeavors to fix a game, throw a game, sits with with players and discusses this or with gamblers or who does not inform his club about what's going on will never play baseball again. And that really shuts the scandals down. And the most important part of that is that you have to inform on your other players if you hear something is going on. Because it's always known that, you know, you're not supposed to throw these games. It is not known that you're supposed to, you know, inform on your other players. And this has a sort of parallel with the controversy that, you know, Elliot Asinoff may have been involved in. Not only was he blacklisted, but he fronted for blacklisted writers. Okay, this is a time when the communists refused to talk on other about other communists. So it's always a moral issue whether you're, to, to use a, a term now in the common parlance, a whistleblower. You know, what's right, what's wrong about that? And in baseball, it was you're going to you're not going to be a part if you hear about this you're going to tell the authorities there are a couple of minor scandals they're minor because they're caught early on in the 1920s and that's why the scandals stop in baseball and also, is that there's another thing going on called Babe Ruth is there is there um is this why Pete Rose had such a harsh penalty yeah, gambling was always, you know, they land is through an, an owner out in the 1940s for betting on his own team, not against his own team. It wasn't crooked or anything like that, but he was very harsh on gambling. You always used to see signs in the old ballparks, you know, no gambling in, in there. They were very much afraid of being tainted again. And I think, you know, it, the Rose thing is akin to the Shoeless Joe Jackson uh, situation where both of them, there are arguments they should both be in the Hall of Fame because of their playing records, but they're kept out because they're just poison in terms of, of gambling situation. So did, did Shoeless Joe Jackson, did he, you know, the kids say it ain't so, Joe, he wasn't, uh, he didn't spend any time, he he was found not guilty, did 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 everybody just know? Was it an O.J. Simpson thing? Everybody just knew? Yeah, right. He just got away with it. Jackson's case is a little problematical because he never sits in the two meetings to discuss things. But he does take $5,000. And he goes out to the press after he gets out of the grand jury and says, you know, I was cheated. I, wasn't get, I didn't get the other 15000 I was promised. He has a tremendous hitting record during the series. He plays great. Uh, but he plays great. He hits 375, 12 hits, the only home run of this series. So people point to that, but he took the money. And it appears, it, it looks like the best, most coherent scenario of this is that he lent his name to the fix. That really his prestige as the best player on that team, the best position player, helped seal the deal with the gamblers. Did he go on to play in 1920? 
He, well, they all play in 1920 because the scandal is not uncovered until very late in the season when they're all suspended with the pennant race still going on. And Comiskey, the owner, the so-called cheapskate owner, uh, bounces all the players who are still on the team. Uh, interestingly enough, the Yankees then offer to lend Babe Ruth to the White Sox so they can finish out their season competitively. Holy cow! <laughs> Wow! Holy cow! Have things that changed? Was, that was not that was not allowed. <laughs> wow! Wow! Uh, David, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you. God bless you. Uh, one of my favorite historians, David Petruza. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Like listening to this podcast? If you're not a subscriber, become one now on iTunes. And while you're there, do us a favor and rate the show. Mr. Michael Knowles, the host of the Michael Mo- uh, Knowles Show uh, at The Daily Wire. A, uh, a very funny guy, very smart guy. Accomplished writer, I could say. I could say writer, kind of like that when I say he was uh, the auth- the author of the number one best-selling uh, book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats. <laughs> if, if you don't know why I say writer, it was very thorough. you should go in and look that book up. Welcome to the program, Michael Knowles. How are you? Glenn, thank you for having me, and thank you for your very, very generous definition of the word writer. <laughs> uh, so, Michael, first of all, how have you been? I haven't talked to you in a while. It's good to hear from I've you. I've been doing... Uh, it's good to hear from you, Glenn. I've been doing well, and I have been on my uh, YAF, Young America's Foundation, lecture tour, which is the Men Are Not Women and Other Uncomfortable Truths lecture tour, and I have never seen a basic biological reality meet such protests. I actually found myself I was an assignment in a gender studies class, a gender studies class called Sex and Love, two of my favorite subjects, by the way, actually assigned the students a a protest against my speech, not to come see my speech, but to protest the speech. So it's been a pretty wild few weeks. You know, it's really weird. Uh, When I was in school, you would get extra credit by watching something or going someplace, <laughs> listening it, and then having a conversation or writing a paper on it. We just, yeah, just cut right to the chase. Don't even listen. Just protest. This must have been 100 years ago. That they, I mean, I think now the yeah. universities have completely flipped this on its head because what there was a protester at this speech who, on camera, you can see it on YouTube, said the reason we're protesting is because this speech is literally violence. And so, I mean, that was my my reaction to you. I said, you know, back in the way, way back days when I was in college just a few years ago, Mm. you would get extra credit if you went and listened to a lecture. Now you're getting credit for protesting a lecture. The way that they've done it is because they can't refute any sort of conservative argument. The only way that they can fight back against our arguments is to censor us, to shut us down, to protest us. And the best way that they can do that is to equate our speech with violence because it then justifies their own violence in return. That is absolutely crazy. So you were, where were you? I, I saw a, a video, I think it came Monday, and you were giving your, your talk, and outside was this class. Let's roll some of the video.
So this was not exactly, I mean, it was uh, seemingly kind of well attended. Must have been maybe, I don't know, 50 or 75 people there. Um, but they weren't really, it wasn't an exciting rally. <laughs> Uh, and and some of the uh, points they're making like the high rate of uh of of transgender being killed you know we looked it up and in a three-year period there were only three people that were transgender that were murdered because they were transgendered and that right. all three of them uh, are uh, involved the surprise that apparently hits some people when they believe they're about to hook up with a woman and it maybe is not a woman. Right. Um, that was the cause of three. And, and when you say them, hook up, it was during, you're painting. You're yeah, it was paying. sex work. Yes. It's a yeah. sex worker. So, you know, you don't run into the best class of Johns, you know, all <laughs> the time. Cruising the boulevard. Right, and, right, right. You know, you know, of course, they totally manipulate the statistics. And it, it's all for this emotional manipulation. What's funny is the tour, you know, it, it takes its title from the speech that I gave, Men Are Not Women, where I first was uh, very protested and, and uh, actually physically assaulted, too. And But the, there are these other uncomfortable truths. And the two that I've been giving, the video you saw and, and the clip you played was at Kennesaw State in Georgia, and then I was at University of Florida last night. And the two other uncomfortable truths were that the mainstream media are fake news, that you're being fed a bill of goods from leftist propagandists, much like we heard in that clip. And then the next one I thought was more important, which is that leftism is not compassionate. And what they're saying is that if we state very basic biological realities, that that's actually cruel, it's leading to murder, and it's leading to suicide. And none of the statistics back that up at all. Mm-hmm. But what they want to do is, is portray reality as cruel and portray fantasy as compassionate. And, and of course, that simply isn't true. So, Michael, what is the what's the reaction on uh, campuses? Because I'm I'm starting to see videos where there are thousands of people that are turning out positively for yeah. for conservative and I can't even say conservative, just science facts. Yeah, there are many, many multiples more people who are turning out to these lectures to engage in a productive way. You know, I was at the University of Florida last night. There were hundreds of people there, and it wasn't all conservative students. Many were moderates, and a few of them were left-wing. And some of the left-wingers got up there and asked questions in a mostly respectful way, and it was really productive, and it's sort of what the university is supposed to do, is to foster dialogue, and everybody can leave hopefully having learned something. I think we've reached a tipping point with these these censors, with these people who are going to try to shut us down. You know, they they tell you that anybody to the right of Hillary Clinton is a fascist and a bigot and a Nazi and a murderer. And I just think nobody really believes it. And they've, they've simply gone too far. And at this point, if, if you are going to protest a, a basic fact, you know, men are not women, you might as well protest the idea that two plus two equals four. I think the vast, vast majority of people know that the censors have lost the narrative and they're they're not going to take it anymore. They're going to turn out and they're not going to be robbed of their university experience. Well, here's what's here's what's weird. I, I agree with you. I think people who are independent, I think a lot of Democrats and conservatives, they know all of this. I, I really think most people are like, come on, man. I don't want to hate people. I don't hate people. You want to do this with your life and your own body. That's fine. 
I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm not you. So go ahead and do whatever it is that you want to do. But don't do it to kids, you know. Um, And I think that's where most people are. The problem is, as we are starting to say, this is crazy. And I think on on all fronts, this is crazy. We have to have a conversation about this. They have institutionalized, not just in the schools, but they've institutionalized it in our government. When you have a seven-year-old in a Texas court being told that his mother can basically sterilize him and turn him into a woman when, you know, forget it. Even if that seven-year-old says, yeah, I am, I am, I'm Carol Channing. You don't do that to a seven-year-old. But here in Texas, that is happening. I mean, if it's happening in Texas, good heavens, what's happening in California and New York. I think people are seeing this. I mean, I, I was shocked myself when I saw the Texas decision, and very little shocks me these days. I am in the news 24-7, and I couldn't believe it because the, the problem runs so much deeper than we thought. You know, when you see the people with the crazy hair, and they're yelling and screaming, and they're all upset because of their leftist politics, it's easy to write that off and say, okay, these are just fringe, lunatic people, and the vast majority are normal. But when you have this institutionalized, not just in the judiciary, but in the judiciary in conservative places, you realize how deep the rot runs. I think this is why these conservative campus uh, lecture series and these actually independent campus lecture series and the protests they meet are so important, too, because it shows you how deep the rot runs, even at elite universities. You know, there was a study out of ISI that showed that graduating seniors at elite universities know less about their history and oh, their yeah. government and their politics than incoming freshmen. This is, yeah. this is a really, really deep problem, and it's going to take a lot more than one or two elections or one or two decisions to turn it around. All right, this weekend, Politicon is happening in Nashville, and you're going to be there. And who are you debating? I am going to be debating a Democratic strategist by the name of Chris Hahn, who uh, once called me Skinny Boy on national television. So that <laughs> tells you a little bit about the tenor of our debate. It should be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Michael, thank you so much. You can find Michael uh, at uh, thedailywire.com uh, and uh, listen to his show, The Michael Knowles Show, and see him this weekend at Politicon. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Glenn. You bet. The Blaze Radio Network. On Demand.